All right, you are listening to Ouija Brats. This is Liz. This is Devin. I have a complicated, weird, good story for you today with <laughs> crime and, and burlesque. Oh, oh my goodness, my favorite things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's Portland. I'll continue Ooh. being our Portland reporter. Yeah, you will. Good girl. Mm-hmm. This is the story of Portland's pinball wars. What? Yes. <laughs> you always have the best titles for things, and I feel like I'm always incredulous. <laughs> what? What? What's your take on pinball? Like, have you ever played pinball? What do you think uh, when you see a pinball machine? I think fun. I think the video games at, like, a pizza parlor that's probably older... Mm-hmm. I think that they're cool. I have um, my my good friend Sarah of Pictorian Photography fucking loves pinball. She and her husband go to a pinball bar in Seattle with oh, nice. friends. And they, like, just fucking play it up and have a blast. And I either don't like it that much or I'm just not that good at it. Because it hasn't caught me. I haven't caught the pinball fever. <laughs> I think it's okay. I never know how many lives I have left. I never know how I'm supposed to flip things. It's definitely a big button mash for me. Oh, absolutely. I'm just like, bah, 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 mm-hmm. bah. this is because we live in an era where everything is permitted and nothing is wrong. Because <laughs> if you were in the 40s, pinball was like roulette. For real? It was like a slot machine. So... Games like pinball had been around since like the eight, the the 1700s, but they developed the coin-operated game in the 30s, and by the end of the Great okay. Depression, it was just everywhere. And back in the day, it was really a game of chance because they didn't have the flippers yet. <laughs> so all that what? would happen, yeah, yeah, you think like pinball flipper. All that would happen is you would fire the little round ball up, and it bounced down. And something good would happen or not. And you could, like, bump and tilt it to try to help. But you didn't have any flippers. <laughs> what was your yeah. end goal? To keep the ball alive? Or did money pour out if you kept the ball alive? Good point. In fact, a lot of gambling operators would use pinball machines as basically like a sort of slot machine. Because you couldn't really use your skills to do much with it. <laughs> but you sure thought you were. When you were just humping the machine yeah. to get the ball to go this way and that way. Yeah. But it was basically a game of chance instead of skill. So a lot of bars would let patrons place bets. And if you won, like, an extra game, you could cash out and uh. actually get money for that instead. And people could, like, bet on how you were going to do. What the hell? Is this? Okay. Mm-hmm. Is So it's a game of chance. Is Pachinko? Is that it? That's where the balls drop? That's a game of chance, right? I ain't no shit about Pachinko, girl. Fucking hell, man. Whatever. You went to casinos. Don't front. Pachinko is like that Japanese game. Yeah. Yeah. We're a little... Bo- okay. Whatever. I'll look it up on my own time. Yeah. yeah. Pachinko resembles a vertical pinball machine, but is different from Western pinball in several ways. Yeah. It's kind of like how slot machines were then, in that there's 
they they have a little flipper, but there's not. Um, you don't really have a lot of control okay. over it. You control when you launch the ball, but not when the flipper moves. Okay. And so that's more like it was back in the day. And they became like a gambling thing. And consequently, they had this really bad reputation because they were like, this is a low stake slot machine with some extra components made to trick you into thinking that it's a game game mm-hmm. rather than a gambling game. And this is the way that you suck young people into gambling. Okay. Is you make this game that, you know, lights up and does this shit and that shit. And it's a trick. It's, you know, trouble with a capital T and that rhymes with P and that stands for pinball. (laughs) This this was their concern. So they also correctly, most of the time, believed pinball to be a mafia racket. Oh. Because, you know. It do. I mean, do that. if you're going to do gambling in a CD back parlor mm-hmm. in the 40s, I'm also going to think mafia. Right? But it was illegal for a really long time. It is, in fact, still illegal in some jurisdiction on certain days to play pinball or for children to play pinball what? or stand near a pinball machine. What? I know. Isn't it like the most wholesome thing in the world? I don't have that association at all. No, that's the video game you can play. I mean, unless it's the one that's like, you know, Terminator pinball or whatever. But that was the one Mm -hmm. you could play because it was PG. Because it was G. Because nothing was happening. Right, like there's no violent graphics. Yeah, there's there's like themes, but that's about it. Oh, do you know what the best selling pinball theme of all time was? Adam's Family. Was it really? I would have yeah, said, like, I Pee-wee's Big Adventure or, or Terminator or something. Adam's Family. Yeah. That's pretty great. Adam's Family. Yeah. Didn't... I feel like I've seen an Adam's Family pinball machine. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Did the Viking used to have one? I mean, I feel like I've seen one, too. I kind of bet we saw it at Bumpers, if anywhere, dude. Oh, uh, yeah. Probably. Okay. But because it had this reputation as sort of like a gateway gambling thing, it had... It was the symbol of, like, being rebellious. Because, of course, if you're a punk-ass teenager, you're like, hells yes, I'm going to go play pinball. You can't stop me, (laughs) Mom and Dad. I do what I want. (laughs) That's why, actually, in Happy Days, there's two machines that the Fonz has a special relationship with. There's the jukebox, which he can hit to make play music. And he's always fucking playing pinball. No way! in that era and at that time was illegal. (laughs) No! Really? He's such a rebel. Really? Yeah. Oh, what a little milk toast rebel by today's standards. Right? Oh, he has a leather jacket. Like, I feel like they wouldn't even let him be seen near a motorcycle. He just kind of had the motorcycle jacket, at least in the early seasons. I was never a big Happy Days fan. I would just kind of listen to the, the theme song and then peace out. Yeah. And that's also why The Who, did you know they did a pinball wizard-themed rock opera? <laughs> It's called Tommy. Yeah. And he um, cannot see or hear or speak, but he's the best at playing pinball. And to us, like 50 years down the line, they were like, haha, he's good at playing pinball. But that's like an anti-authoritarian thing in 1972. Still banned in much of the country, right? Gotta be kidding me. Okay. Yeah. But you've got to understand this aspect of pinball to understand how it becomes what it becomes in Portland. Chapter two, (laughs) pinball in Portlandia. I broke this up. I have eight pages of notes on this shit. Good girl. (sighs) Mm -hmm. Okay, so Portland 
is a place where this played out in a really high stakes, violent way. The whole pinball issue. Because, like, when, what do you think of when you think of Portland now? Like, if somebody says, oh, it's very Portland. Oh, then you think it's very, like, hemp, hipster. Yeah. Put a bird fake, on it. Yeah, India. Kombucha. Uh, kombucha, yeah. Vegan, yeah. soy, sprouty things. Exactly. It's like Portlandia, right? Yeah, but exactly. back in the day, when we've talked about Portland before, we talked about it as a port city, right? Okay. So a place where sailors are going to come on board to get blued, screwed, and tattooed. Mm-hmm. A place where people can get shanghai to yes. see our earlier episode. And gambling was never not a part of Portland. Even before white settlers came in the area, people would play stick game. Yes. Which is still, like, a super intense, like, tournament game and a huge part of that culture. Fascinating. But it never fucking let up. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a timeline. Okay. So in 1911... McClure's Magazine calls the city a popular headquarters for all the vicious characters in the Pacific Northwest. Portland was basically Vegas before Vegas was Vegas. Wow. It's the place where prostitution is essentially legal. Gambling is essentially legal. People are going to turn the other way and the cops are completely corrupt. Not that Vegas is that way these days, right? It's basically uh, adult Disneyland. But if you think of, like, 50s and 60s Vegas, yeah. like Rat Pack Mob Vegas, yeah. this is where Portland was through, like, the 10s through, I'm going to say, about the 60s. Wow. One of the really important things, and I'm going to do a totally different episode on this, I really want to, is that it was also a place where the Tong Wars played out. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Portland's Chinatown at that time was a huge part of the culture and even just the geography of the city. So we've talked a little bit about you know, what's going on with Chinatown, because as we've talked about, when you don't let people get regular type jobs, they participate in quote unquote alternative economies. Alternative economies is right. Yeah. Such as gambling, opium smuggling, mm-hmm. and prostitution. And they are super into lottery. There's a Chinese lottery where basically... I'll, I'll save it for whatever episode we do on it, but, like, there's a board with, like, different symbols, and you pick which ones you want, and then you see kind of which ones get picked. Okay. And gambling is a huge part of it. And the turf wars over that become such an issue that they actually formed something called the Chinese Peace Society in the 1920s, because the turf wars are getting so fucking brutal between these gangs. Really? It actually still exists today as the Chinese Consolidated Benevolent Association. Oh, wow. Okay. But yeah, if you are... Yeah, I want to be clear that, like... Oftentimes in the Northwest, one of the reasons why it's so exciting is because we are where you go if you're too much of a shady fuck up (laughs) to make it in your standard society. Exactly. So not to be like they're not sending us our best people, but if you were a shady person in China and you wanted to get rich quick, an efficient way was to come over and just rip people off ferociously as, you know, a pimp or an opium den operator or a gambling den operator in Portland because, you know, people are coming and going, the cops are corrupt, all these things are happening. So, 
pinball kind of gets lumped into this because you would often see them side by side, like pinballs and slot machines, pinballs and the one-armed bandits were kind of these early proto-mechanical ways of taking money away from people. (laughs) (laughs) That's how Liz feels about gambling. Taking money away from people. That's how I do feel about gambling. Tax on people who are bad at math. (laughs) So, in 1936, there's a letter to the Oregonian that says, basically, our city shouldn't condone taking money away from the credulous, the optimistic, and the perennially hopeful. (laughs) Those summer children. Yes, dude, stop ripping off these sweet summer children. We're never going to be good. Like, it stresses them out because they actually have, I think it's a Lewis and Clark centennial when there's a lot of attention on Portland. Okay. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, jeez, we look bad. We look like such a scummy place with all this prostitution and all the drugs and all the people getting beat up and the gambling. Pinball everywhere. All right. It's appalling. These pinball machines. And of course, you know, at that time, they don't have exciting themes or anything, and they don't light up and play little sound clips from a movie. Little jingles, yeah. Yeah, they're still exciting, and they're they're a good way to keep people in a place if you want them to keep drinking and keep eating and stay. You know, yeah. Give them a little entertainment. Uh, see, for me, and I may or may not keep this, and Matt is really good at pinball. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, and which is funny because he was born like not long after it stopped being illegal. Okay. I don't know. I'll have to ask well, him when he got into it. But he's so good at it that he wins so many free games that anytime you put him at a pinball machine, you better have nowhere else to be for the next 45 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> what? So I'm always like, let's not say we did. I'm not giving you a quarter. Yeah, I don't just, have any quarters. Yeah, I don't have any Walk quarters. Walk away. Just keep going. Keep going, yeah. <laughs> That's so sweet. Oh, I love that. Really got a pinball. All right, so credulous, optimistic, perennially hopeful, and teenagers, and it has that (laughs) sort of uh, air of it's one thing if adults want to make the decision to run into ruin, but this is not the 19th century anymore. It's the 20th century, and we're starting to understand that there's that crucial phase when people kind of look like adults, but aren't mm-hmm. quite adult in their decision-making. Right. And we're like, we got to keep these kids away. So the law eventually is like, yeah, you're right. So Multnomah County Circuit Court Judge James W. Crawford bans them. He says these are lottery games. These are chance games. There's a really small element of skill involved. Yeah. We can't have these anymore. Okay. Now, in your experience, Devin, when people make stuff illegal in the Pacific Northwest, does it go away? Ooh, ooh, ooh. No, no. It just, it just, it, it's exploding. That's what happens. Yes. Super, super exploding. Yes. So, of course, you know, the pub owners and the restaurateurs were like, oh, no, this city is dead. You're going to destroy us. Like, <laughs> I feel like when I was a kid, they had those in, like, waiting areas of restaurants, yeah. didn't they? Or, like, Pac-Man machines and stuff. Yes. Like, yeah, sometimes at places where the food was pictured on the menu, there would be yep. games that you could play. Places that also had cigarette machines. Yep. You know. Chi-Chi's. Those places. That kind of place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would have something like that. But of course, if you make it illegal, it doesn't go away. Crime just moves in. Yeah. So there's a couple cool characters I'm going to tell you about. Number one is crime boss Al Winter. Ooh. And in the 1940s, Al Winter is the king of gambling in Portland, which includes pinball. Okay. 
I have a good quote from them from Phil Stanford wrote a book that I think is some called something like um, Rose City Confidential or like Vice in Portland, which I will share and make sure we let people have a look at. But he says, basically, here's how Al Winter was. There were two small time crooks who tried to move in on it. And he said, okay, he finds them. He comes to them and he says, the problem is, gentlemen, you didn't get my permission. I'm going to get 50% of everything you have right now. And if you do it again, we're going to break your hands. Oh. <laughs> and you fucking believe him when he says that, right? Stone fucking cold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stone fucking cold Al Winter. That's what we should have called him. Yeah. Huh. So, 1948. Let's keep moving in this timeline. There's a high-profile downtown murder, which I just encountered this when I was researching this story, and I'm going to try to find out more about it. Okay. Because it inspires two huge reports on vice and crime in Portland, which makes the mayor look really bad, right? Oh, okay. If, if, If Portland is like... A wretched hive of scum and villainy, and you're the one on top of the heap, you look bad. <laughs> That's true. So, Earl Riley is the guy who is on top when this murder happens, and he gets sent packing. And the person who gets elected is actually the second female mayor ever to serve in the United States. Oh, cool. Yeah, Portland, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, in general, have a really interesting tradition, which, again, maybe this will be a different episode, Yeah, of granting the vote to women a little earlier than happened nationally, mm-hmm. and also having female elected public officials. Okay. So, this is the character, Dorothy No Sin Lee. Mm-hmm. So, her name ah. is Dorothy McCullough Lee, also known as No Sin Lee, also known as Mrs. Airwick, after the air freshener. What? Or Do Good Dorothy. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. That's a lot of nicknames. It is a lot of nicknames. So Dorothy was an interesting person. So she was a representative in the Oregon House of Representatives. She won a seat in the Oregon Senate, where she served from 32 to 43. So she had a lot of political experience. She was the first woman on the Portland City Council. She was commissioner of public utilities. She did a lot of good stuff for the city. Like, she helped control mosquitoes. She extended city water. And... She actually, because the council rotated who got to be president of the council when the mayor was out of town, and the president of the council was the mayor when the mayor was out of town, she actually technically was the first female mayor, but because she wasn't elected to that position, it's kind of a separate thing. (laughs) Interesting. Technicality. Technicality, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so there's this whole alluring drama hinted at with a murder and police officers and bribery and they actually ask her to run for office and she runs for and she wins a term as mayor beating seven other candidates including riley in a landslide so riley got twenty two thousand. she got eighty five thousand. no way good for her yeah and dorothy's whole thing as you can derive from her nicknames yeah is about no sin I know what platform she's running on. Right? It's a very laissez-faire sort of libertarian. No. She says, the forces of evil are deep-seated in this city. I'm going to clean up sin, gambling, and prostitution. (laughs) 
she does all kinds of shit, including shaking up the admin of the police department, which was extremely necessary, but wouldn't really help in the long run. Yeah. Uh, she actually makes everybody get rid of their slot machines. Oh, wow. She says not just that these are, like, quasi-legal, but they used to have kind of a wink-wink, nudge-nudge thing if you were, like, the American Legion or yeah. the Shriners or the Elks. It's like, a, you know, you can have a slot machine. Yeah. Like, you're not corrupting minors, whatever. And I think it was somebody from the Shriners who came to her or maybe from one of those other... Um, like the Elks or something. Groups, whatever you call yeah. those. Yeah. Fraternities. Yeah. But came to her and was like, oh, come on. Like, it's just us. And she's like, I don't see any special role for you. Like, <laughs> get the fuck rid of them. Uh, Good girl. So she was really hard-nosed. She's the one that actually, her administration is the one that made all the one-ways downtown in Portland, which makes me like her less. Because <laughs> to me, driving in Portland was always a very, like, I'll get in this lane. Oh, fuck, it's a one-way. Oh, fuck, it's a no-turn. Oh, fuck, I'm going over a bridge. Yes. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I yeah. drove there twice, I think, and yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, because it's not like around here where you're like, okay, if third goes this way, second goes the other mm-hmm. way. I'll just go up a block. It's very like, I oh, can't turn, can't park, can't... Ah! <laughs> I'm in Vancouver. I mean, Vancouver Fuck. is exactly right. Yep. I went to Vancouver by accident. If you can go to another state by accident, your road system is too draconian. <laughs> Yeah. One of the things she did as well is close the Chinese gambling establishments. She was very anti-gambling. And this actually cost her her second term. People were like, this is a too much. We didn't want Riley levels of corruption, but you're just no fun, Dorothy. And she suffered the thing that many women do when they run for public office, which is all of a sudden it's about, like, how attractive are yeah. you? How sexy are you? Yeah. How well do you work with other people? Are you a ball buster? Yeah. I won't say that she's an unadulterated heroine. Like, she has... Some aspects of her are very liberal, some aspects of her are very conservative. She's interesting to look into. But she was pretty uncompromising, and politics, like it or not, is a lot about compromise. So she didn't serve very long. Okay. She served long enough, though, that Ice Cold Winter, as I'm calling him from here on uh-huh. out, goes, I'm getting out of Portland, and he moves to Vegas. Oh. And becomes a partner in the new Sahara Casino. Well, so there you go. Vegas owes some of what it is to the fact that Portland cracked down and drove out one of our greatest crime bosses. Oh. <laughs> well, you're welcome, Vegas. You're welcome, Vegas. What happens in Portland stays in Portland, I guess. <laughs> Otta. All right. I have a sidebar for you. Okay. I labeled the sidebar a storm in Portland. So not only was Dorothy Duga Dottie really against gambling, she was also really against burlesque. <gasps> Do you want to, in case, is there, if in case there's anybody listening to the show who doesn't know what burlesque is, can you kind of fill them in? Yeah. Is it just strippers? It is not just strippers. And I know that you only said that because you're giving me a good lead in. Uh, to burlesque originally meant to parody something. So burlesque was born out of the old vaudeville circuit and you were doing you were doing things, but in a over-the-top parody, um, mm. uh, dramatic, theatrical way. And burlesque really became 
it's called The Art of the Tease. It's about seduction. It's Mm -hmm. about taking your time. If you're performing a burlesque act, yeah, you're removing your clothes, but really it's seriously about the foreplay. It's about how do you remove this glove? How do you get the audience to want to see now the skin beneath the glove? And they're more aware of the nudity because of the way in which the clothes are revealed. Yeah, it's got an aspect, I think it's got an intelligence to it, which is not to say that strip clubs don't have intelligent sex workers in them, but that burlesque by its nature, I think, has this sort of winking aspect. Definitely. It's a wink and a smile to the audience. It's supposed to be tongue-in-cheek. It's, yeah, I mean, and like, I've I've known people who have done both dancing, as in working at strip clubs, Mm -hmm. and burlesque, and Mm -hmm. they say it's it's very different. You go to a strip club, you come out with no clothes, and you continue in that fashion to show boobies to men. Um, Burlesque, it's usually a mixed gender audience, and it's not Mm -hmm. always sexual. There's nudity, but it's not always, yeah, sexual. Yeah. Although I would say I think that's specific to 21st century burlesque. Yes. Because I think back in the day, like, so I've read two books about Gypsy Rose Lee. Sorry yeah. Sorry for using that word. but That's what she called she's herself. Got, that's, that's what she called herself. Um, so there's the book that she wrote about herself, and then there's a book somebody else wrote about yeah. her. Yeah. And what, what she doesn't talk about is the fact that they used to... Um, Guys would come to see her, and they'd spread newspapers across their laps. And as she danced, she'd hear as the newspaper rattled. Yep. Or they would do the the trick with some liver and a milk bottle. Oh God! Uh, Oh God! That's awful. Oh, that's That's awful. Forties flashlight. Never let it be said that I don't tell you the worst things. Tell me the absolute worst things. I'm here for you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So burlesque, I think, could be in that era anywhere from, you know, very like champagne, Gypsy Rose Lee, clever, people can appreciate it, theater critics are going to comment on it, all the way down to, I'm on the same bill as vaudeville, but I'm going to take my clothes off and I'm not particularly clever. So one of the things with burlesque all over the country, I think, but especially in Portland, is that it was a really popular place for gangsters to hang out and members of the underworld to hang out. And again, this is something that Gypsy Rose Lee had. She actually was the girlfriend of a mob boss for a while. And he actually paid, this was a thing that they used to do to have all her teeth removed and replaced with false teeth because that was considered an investment. What? And someone that I, yeah, once upon a time when I was teaching at UNC, I had a dentist come in and he talked about how sometimes because it was so taken as red in a certain era that all your teeth would fall out of your head, People, essentially, the dowry for the bride would be paying to get all her teeth removed and false teeth made for her. Isn't that trippy? So weird. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, this is a fuckload more efficient than waiting for them to rot one by one I and suppose pulling them out. Oh, so? Yeah, so whenever you see Gypsy Rose Lee doing her sexy, sexy striptease, remember she got dentures in there. Wow! Complete dentures. So, yeah, various people, including the chief of police, Purcell, would hang out. Purcell was known, his name was James Purcell, a.k.a. Diamond Jim. And when no, what did we call him? Ice Ice Winter Winter left for Vegas. Somebody gives a tip to Clackamas County State Police and says... 
there's illegal gambling in these places. They raid a hundred night spots. The guy who gives them the tip is somebody known as Jim Elkins, who's another great crime boss of the Rose City. Ooh, okay. And when Jim Winter leaves, Elkins steps up. <gasps> he actually had been in Portland since about the 30s. He had been in the Arizona State Pen for shooting a cop. He was a pimp. He was a drug dealer. Oh, my gosh. But his racket of choice? Pinball. 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 Yeah. He was also known for his brutality. Ooh. He was, again, ice cold. He yeah. was cruel. You did not get to be a mob boss in Portland with a gentle hand. I suppose so. So, among other things, Purcell was potentially in a relationship with a burlesque performer whose name was Candy Renee. <laughs> he used to go to the Star Theater. He would sit in the third row, and afterward he'd go to the dressing room. One time, there's this story about this police officer named Harlan Davis. So the way he made extra cash was he would drive performers around. Okay. Uh, he actually went backstage because the dancer was like, oh, I left my purse. Can you go grab it? And he sees Candy Renee. Her dress is partly on, and she's talking with the chief of police. And what he hears is Renee is saying, shut up, you son of a bitch, and zipper me up. <laughs> wow. So I don't really know what that says about their relationship, except that that probably wasn't the first time they had met each Bet other. not. Uh, <laughs> that's my guess yep. about Candy and Diamond Jim. That's a good guess. Uh, at one point, she also dated another associate of Elkins. But the most famous Portland burlesque performer of the 50s was Tempest Storm. Yes. Which is such a good burlesque yes, name, isn't it? Yes, it is. Tempest yeah. is a... She's well known. Yeah, Tempest Storm was known for doing the teaserama. With uh, Betty Page. The, the Teaserama? What was that? Uh, Teaserama was like in the 1950s, and it was a uh, it was a Burley show you could get on uh, your VHS. They, you know, oh. recorded it, or whatever they had back before VHS, I guess. But um, every now and then it pops up. You can, I think I watched it. I either bought it real cheap or I watched it on Netflix because it was just one of those random things that came up through the cycle on Netflix. And it was uh, Betty Page's terrible striptease artist, by the way. I don't, I, she's <laughs> really more of a fetish more model. More of a fetish model. Great at that. But she did like the dance of the seven veils and whatever. And Tempest Storm was, you know, this like blousy redhead with big boobs and the corseted waist, of course. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, I'll send you, I'll send you links, my friend. Sweet. Yeah. She was a star of the burlesque scene, yes. especially the West coast burlesque scene. She, um, dated Elvis at one point, apparently. Yeah. They, they both had that bump and grind. But Tempest Storm, she moved to Portland in 1953, which she liked Portland except for the weather, because she liked to drive an open-top Cadillac, Aww. which doesn't really work with Portland's weather. No. But she married, one of the things that you'd have in burlesque, because burlesque grew out of vaudeville, is a straight man yes. who would do, you know, comedy. And she married a straight man from one of her shows called John Becker. And the reason why they went to Portland was to get away from Becker's ex-wife, who was another burlesque star named Arabella Andrea or Al Arabella Andrea. I don't know. Oh. Sexy either way. Yeah. Hot. And Storm, like the productive young businesswoman she was, actually bought the Capitol Theater for 15 grand and she spent a couple thousand fixing it up and started headlining there, which is great. You know, vertical integration. Absolutely. Go, Good for you, girl. Way to go, 
Tempest, control everything from, you know, how much the popcorn costs to how big your name is. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, sometimes, sometimes divorces do not end with a firm handshake and best wishes on both sides. So Arabella... (laughs) Was not like, enjoy Portland, you two. She moves to Portland also. And she starts performing at the Star Theater under the billing John's Other Wife. <laughs> That's hilarious. I don't yeah. care who you are. That's not like petty. That's so petty that I love I it. That love is Petty LaBelle Petty. Yeah. And. John's other wife, which was kind of fair because John actually married Tempest before he was divorced from Arabella. Well, I can't fault and- him. <laughs> <laughs> As your uh, best woman for two ceremonies, I have nothing to add to this. Uh- <laughs> All parties involved were consenting. Yep. That's what's important on this game. Yep. <laughs> Shit. Shit. All right. So, um, Arabella had problems with both of them. Uh And she was always threatening Tempest that she was going to pour acid on her face. Oh, that's fucked up. Which is a fucked up thing to say, right? Not okay. And at one point, she actually rings the bell at Tempest's house. Johnny answers the door, and Tempest is right behind him, and Arabella's holding a glass and throws it on Tempest. Oh, God. Scaring the hell out of her. It's just water. Oh, thank God. But, oh, my God. What a That's fucked up thing to do to disgusting, somebody. dude. To somebody. Arabella, yeah. come on now. I wanted to That's like you. That's not cool. No, Johnny's other wife, cool. Yeah. Pretending to throw acid on somebody, not cool. Not cool. Reined it in. <laughs> and they're like, this is appalling. They have her arrested, and they say you have to put her in a mental hospital. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't work out, so she sues them for false arrest. And they settle out of court, and at this point, Tempest and her husband are like, I'm I'm fucking over it. Yeah. And they moved to San Francisco. And that's the end of Tempest Storm in Portland. But I had to throw that in because I think it's so interesting that side by side with this sort of, you know, pinball and burlesque are both things that are... Right. Like, pinball has zero sexy charge at this point, right? You Thank you. Like, oh, they have a pinball machine. If I found... If I went to, like, somebody's house and they had a pinball machine, I'd be like, nerd. <laughs> right? <laughs> you open up the front door and you go we got a bunch of nerds in here whole bunch of nerds live in this house yeah that would be about it i think they had a a pinball machine bless you maybe on friends i think they had one in one of the apartments on how i met your mother like it's a fun set dressing but at this point it doesn't convey like "Ooh, this person is a rebel nope no. And burlesque the same way. That can you imagine somebody running in Portland or Seattle or Spokane today and saying, I'm gonna shut down these houses of burlesque. Of burlesque. Dude, you don't even get to use burlesque these days as like street cred. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know, like I tell people I'm a burlesque artist and they're like, Oh yeah, great. I've taken my clothes off too. Good job. You know, everybody it's, done done yeah. burlesque. Yeah. Shoot. Mm. All right, chapter three, the pinball wars. Mm, Yes, I love those two words next to each other. It's so absurd. But what this means is that in the in the fifties, Portland is this sort of racy, quasi legal place, 
And pinball is an outlaws game. It The right. games themselves are supplied by criminals. The people who actually have them in their businesses are flouting the law. Yeah. The people who play them, the same. So, anything like that where to provide that you are a criminal is going to inspire people to have syndicates and gangs. Yes. And they're going to fight Right? Yes. So from 1952 to 55, these are the really ferocious years of the wars. And this is where it gets kind of complicated. So I may have to do it and then back up and re- like recap what I'm saying. That's so, fine. But I just want to already, 1952 to 1955, mm-hmm. these are the big years of the pinball wars. The pinball wars. Isn't that wow. ridiculous? Like, you're thinking about, like, the 50s, and you're thinking about Leave It to Beaver, and Eisenhower, right. and the new look, and all this kind of stuff. And you're like, pinball? Really? Pinball? Pinball's what y'all were worried about. Yeah. Pinball. No, it was a scandalous thing that was going to steal the morals of the children. Wow. All right. Polybius was going to steal their brains. Well, yep. Games are bad news. We still have this Puritan principle that if Satan is going to get at us, he's probably going to be fun. Oh, he's going to be <laughs> so fun. I love that as a phrase. Yes. <laughs> Let's eat some dry toast instead. All right. So basically, <laughs> There's too much sugar in your cornflakes and <laughs> people in asylums only get unsweetened cornflakes. Otherwise, they're just going to masturbate. They're just going to masturbate all over the place. That's what my special K does for me. Woohoo. More like a special, special G. Special K. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. There's a whole new meaning to K hole. Oh, All right. Gosh. I'm going to let you continue. All right. So there's basically two people who are fighting each other here. And I bet you could make an educated guess as to what the previous careers were of most of the people involved in this, they used to be bootleggers. And a lot of them <sighs> still are bootleggers because Portland is one of those state-run liquor states. Yeah. So to offer stuff cheap and to offer stuff outside of when the state stores are selling it, there's still bootleggers plying their trade. Yeah. But there's two guys who are supplying the machines that the restaurants and the bars and the pubs and the clubs are using yeah so there's stan terry who mostly does south of portland in the milwaukee area all right and there's big jim elkins who's the guy who dropped the dime on all those clackamas county sites okay and he is the self-styled vice boss of portland he's the one who took over after ice cold winter left damn they are they both want what the other one has they don't want to just kind of stay in their separate territory because okay. they want the other guy's territory. What? And they're not the guys to go, I'm going to put that on my vision board and <laughs> just will it into existence. They go to fucking war. God right? damn. Okay. I, I'm, like, You're so excited. I can I, tell. I am, but Portland's already divided by a river. Like, I just, I, mm-hmm. oh, you men, what are you doing? you doing Kay. gentlemen yes terry big Ter- jim big jim mr elkins not a creative crime name what would your name be if you were a crime boss i would have to think about that i guess it depends on a the crime mm-hmm. and b what my level of ego is that day mm. what would yours be huh that's a tough one because i don't know like 
if it was my maiden name, I'd do watch it, blodge it. Because it's very hard to rhyme anything. That's blodge cool. It. But is wood? I don't know. Or Liz? I don't know. Because mm. you guys used to call me Icy Blodgett. I know, yeah, we still call you Icy Blodgett. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you mean you used to? I mean, not cut to your face. And I'll cut a bitch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, just because I'm not brave enough to say it to your face doesn't mean I don't use it. <laughs> Icy Blodgett. Mm. All right, let's think about our crime names. We'll come back. To yeah, that. we'll circle around. Okay. So, anyway, Big Jim and Terry. Yeah. Uh, what they would do to each other is basically just surprise raids was their first <laughs> move. So you just get like six goons. You get a handful of goons, goons and like run up to a bar that had the machines of the other guy. Take all the money, take as many of the machines as you can fit in your truck and run away. <laughs> That's so stupid. It's like a panty raid. That's Isn't so stupid. stupid. Yeah, it's like there's no subtlety to this. No. It's like, fuck you, Duke's Head restaurant and pub. Right. Like, I'm taking your your machines. Right. Ha ha. Ha ha. <laughs> and yeah, so like nobody got hurt, but they weren't getting anywhere. Oh, God. This, this was just nonsense. So they had to escalate. And when you're escalating in the 50s and you're criminal, a good thing to do is to contact the Teamsters. Oh. So. The Teamsters Union in the 50s, please don't break my kneecaps, Teamsters, was basically an organized crime syndicate. Let me look into this. When did Jimmy Hoffa disappear? Oh, man. Yeah, they were organized crime, but, like, their logo was a wagon wheel and some horses, and so you never really saw it coming. <laughs> You're like, ooh, they're a wagon. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> this is an organ trail at all. Not even close to it. Right? But yeah, this is not far off from, like, the Jimmy Hoffa era. And they're already actually in the Portland pinball game with a third character who is short and stocky. Therefore, his name is Blubber Maloney. That's so mean! They couldn't have called him, like, Fireplug Malone or, or Daryl the Barrel. Nope. <laughs> Tom Blubber Maloney. Cannonball? Anything like that? No. Uh, So, so Blubber Maloney. um, (laughs) That's my name. I'm going to be Blubber Kelly. God. Um, What was the thing? You talked about you're like walrusing yourself? No, it was was, was narwhaling because you said you were white. I remember. It was beluga-ing, wasn't it? Beluga, yes. Beluga (laughs) Kelly, that's you. Beluga Kelly. Don't you forget it. Oh my god. Okay, so Elkins can't talk to the Teamsters in Seattle, so he reaches out to Blubber Maloney, and they come up with a scheme, which is they're gonna set up a pinball operators union. And I am extremely pro-union, and my family is a union family. Yeah. Unions can sometimes have this sort of organized crime aspect. Their plan is that they're going to make a pinball operator's union, shut Terry out, and he's not going to have access to other unions, and they're going to set up picket lines around all the restaurants and pubs of the people who use Terry's machines. Oh my gosh. And this works. And so they form a union known as the Coin Machine Men of Oregon. (laughs) That's dumb. Isn't it? It's like this combination of, I know you're up to something serious, but this sounds so ridiculous. Call yourself the Slot Shots. It's hilarious. Oh, 
You're so good at naming things. I can't name myself, though, Icy. Sorry. Everybody should know that Devin is the one who came up with Ouija broads. When I contacted you, I think about a year ago, because I read Mm -hmm. Spooky Spokane on a flight to North Carolina, and I'm Mm -hmm. about to go to North Carolina again. And we were messaging back and forth, and I was telling you ridiculous stuff, and we were like, we should do a podcast, and we were throwing back and forth ideas, and this is when you came up with Ouija broads. (laughs) And it was was all caps. I was at Nordic Heritage Museum working when I sent that to you. Oh, nice. And it was all caps. I was so proud of myself. It's so good. It's perfect. I'm so glad yeah. you And like I was it. a little skeptical at first, I have to admit. Yeah. That I was kind of like, but does it really convey, like, the Northwest stuff? Yeah. And it's like, you know what? It fucking doesn't have to because people hear the name and they go, that's a good name. That's a good name. Well done. Yeah. So anyway, they've got the Coin Machine Men of Oregon, and the Coin Machine Men of Oregon are very happy to make, for instance, a picket line around the Mount Hood Cafe, or any other restaurant, or pub, or bar, or whatever you have that has pinball machines from Stan Terry in it, Mm -hmm. rather than Big Jim. And Mm -hmm. this looks really bad, because you don't want to cross a Teamster picket line. You don't. Okay. This is bad. This is not like, ooh, they're going to frown at me. Don't fuck with them. So it people are shutting down. People are losing their customers. And he goes, shit, what do I do? Okay. I'll talk to other criminals. Okay. So he connects with somebody who used to work for Ice Cold Winter. <laughs> and that friend has another friend who knew the pit boss at the Flamingo Casino, which is the joint that Bugsy Siegel started. Oh my gosh. So that's also a good name bull, too. Isn't it? It's all great. Bugsy is good. Yeah. Some of these are good. Diamond Jim is good. Big Jim is just boring. It's boring. That's just descriptive. No, it's six letters long. Who's gonna take you seriously? Your whole title. Better. Yeah. On the other hand, wouldn't it be so awesome if you, like, were in the crime world and you knew everybody who was, like, you know, Mac the Knife and Diamond Jim and then you just met somebody who's like, hi, I'm Joe. You're like, oh. That's true. That's true. You're too scary for a nickname. Yep. That's very true. You're either a nobody or you are somebody. And either way, you're not willing to roll those dice. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so he connects him with a pit boss at the Flamingo, and this guy escorts Terry to Seattle and introduces him to the head of the Teamsters. Okay. Who, this is a guy that Big Jim had been able to get an appointment with. That's why he reached out to Blubber Maloney. But Terry can get an appointment with him because he knows the Vegas mob. Gotcha. The bigger mob. Yeah, some generous uh, donations are made to benevolent societies, Mm -hmm. and then somebody calls the Portland Teamsters, and all of a sudden, there's no picket lines anymore. Oh, man. And the Teamsters are not picketing Terry's pinball machines. All of a sudden, Big Jim is on the outside, and the coin machine men of Oregon are not the influential ones anymore. They're the ones who are getting picketed. Shit. So, checkmate. Right? Like, Elkins is fucked. There's not a bigger mob on the West Coast than the Vegas mob. He doesn't have, like, a higher authority he can appeal to. Right. So he gives up. He sells his machines, and he sells his, like, trucking routes and whatever. Oh, wow. He runs him out of the business. But he's not done. Don't worry. Oh, okay. He's gonna come back? He's not done. Okay. An asshole like Elkins is not (laughs) just gonna call him, right? You're right. You're right. I was like, the only thing you have to do at that point is... 
go marry an Italian mafia dom's daughter in New York and then get back in the game. A good move. I mean, when when that happens to you, moving to a different city is always a good option, but he was not ready to give this up because this is the 50s. He's been in Portland since like 1937. He considers himself the heir to Winters. He's not ready gotcha. to give it up to this guy in his Milwaukee mob. Okay. So All right. he comes up. Here's another guy named Bugsy. Mm. I'm sorry it's confusing. It is. Bugsy Burns. And who is described in the resources I have as a square-jawed goon. <laughs> Not great. Okay. Can you just picture it? He looks yep. like the goon from the goon comics to me. Like, right? Like, flat cap pulled down. <laughs> yep. Yeah, there you go. All right. Yeah. Can't shave good enough ever. Exactly. Always stubble. Yes. Uh, he's always got a toothpick. Yeah. The mouth is tight. Yeah. All right. So what Big Jim decides to do is he calls Bugsy Burns and he says, I have a job for you. I want you to round up a bunch of guys and you are going to be temporarily... Pinball machine repairman. Okay. And what you're going to do is you're going to go to every joint that has a Stan Terry machine in it and load all of the pinball machines up and say, they're being updated. We're going to collect the old ones and we'll be back in like an hour with a replacement. (gasps) Isn't that great? Wow. His his plan is they're basically going to the Grinch who stole Christmas. Yep. All these pinball machines the fuck out of the Stan Terry joints. Bully! If they go fast enough, nobody's going to figure it out, and then he's not going to have any pinball right, machines anymore. Right. Yeah. Uh, they had a big warehouse in North Portland where they were going to hide all the machines. Like, it's a it's a decent plan, but the problem is that good help is hard to find, right? Okay. So Bugsy and his friends get bored waiting for the signal to start this, and they rob a Safeway. God damn while it. While they're hanging out. They just, like... It's just what they really? do. Fish gotta swim, birds gotta fly. Bugsy and his goons Bugsy can't gotta rob. Wait. Yeah, to steal the pinball oh machine. Oh my so god! Over a Safeway, and they get caught. Yeah, yeah. So, so he never pulls off this great heist, which is a bummer mm-hmm. because I think that would have been hilarious. Would have been great. Yes, this is sort of the end of. That war. Because in 1956, there are some investigative reporters who win a Pulitzer for talking about how illegal and corrupt everything is in Portland. No way. Their source is Big Jim Alkins. What? <laughs> really? Yep. He, he basically peaches on everybody. Man, he does. And he says, like, hey, I, I paid these guys such and such to not take out my pinball machines. I paid them this much to make this guy the police commissioner. And I can tell you this, that, and the other thing about other people. Wow. And they do this series of articles. And all of a sudden, it's very hard to keep doing things with a wink and a nudge, right? Okay. Like, all of a sudden, everybody nationally is paying attention to Portland and how crime-ridden it is, including a young Bobby Kennedy. Which I think is hilarious. Oh. I have no idea. He is the chief counsel to the Senate Rackets Committee. Racket. I always loved rackets, racketeering, mm-hmm. racketeering and corrupt organizations. Mm-hmm. I, oh, Rico, it all cracks me up. Mm-hmm. But he pulls people all the way back to Washington, D.C. The hearings for this are televised on primetime TV. He has everybody up to and including the mayor. 
that he is putting on trial for racketeering and corruption and illegal gambling and all this kind of stuff. Wow, dude. And it is like the scandal of the day and the star witness is Big Jim Elkins. Uh Uh-huh. The Peacher. The Peacher. The Peacher. He'll say anything. In what's a savvy move, made a lot of audio recordings, which if you're going to flip... Uh, God, you hope there's tapes, don't you? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't not be a little political. He had 70 hours of audio recordings of Oh, my gosh. And turned them over to the committee that was investigating organized crime. Oh, my because gosh. Because you recall in the 50s, we were obsessed with a couple things. One of them was communism and the other was organized crime. Right. Yes, people are infuriated by this. So, like, the mayor can't pass a lie detector test. The district attorney keeps pleading the fifth. (laughs) The grand jury hands down 115 indictments to 41 different people. No way. But you know what? It's still so corrupt that they can't do anything about it. He really got, like, testimony saying, hey, you gave Mayor Shrunk a bribe. Yeah. Kennedy comes to Portland to testify against him. Yeah. Uh, let me let me fill this in. Let me back up a little bit. Because there's this place called, I don't know if it's the 8212 Club or the 8212 Club. Mm-hmm. But in 1955, Terry Shrunk is the sheriff of Multnomah County, which is the county that Portland's in. Okay. And he leads a raid of the 8212 Club, which is for gambling. It's pinball. There's a bar. And okay. they arrest a couple drunk people. But the bar's owner gives him a $500 bribe, so he doesn't do anything about it uh, beyond, you know, arresting a couple drunk people. Okay. But they cannot nail him on this conviction. And he, by the time this comes up into the courts, has been elected mayor. And he, in fact, would go on to be one of Portland's longest serving mayors ever. For real? Mm-hmm. Dude. Some people are Teflon, man. Yeah, Some man. Some people just can't get rid of a bomb. <laughs> Isn't that great? No, that's not great. <laughs> no, it's very, very not great. Isn't it horrible awesome? Yes. Yes, it's yeah. impressive. For sure. It's impressive. Yeah. Wow. All right. So that's where it takes us into the 60s. So Big Jim, that was kind of his day in the sun. Things kind of peter out. He gets arrested for narcotics, stolen property. Mm. In 68, they find him dead. Like, meh. Oh, okay. The end. And Portland, not long after that, starts talking about, should we have a state lottery? Should we have a city lottery? And now is still has a lottery. Still has pinball machines, obviously. But you know what? Pinball is still illegal in some places. In Nashville, Tennessee, they just recently overturned their ban on children playing or standing within 10 feet of a pinball machine. No way. You can't play pinball on Sundays in Ocean City, New Jersey. Wow! (laughs) And Shrunk's son, so Mr. $500 bribe at the 8212 Club, his son is the current Multnomah County District Attorney. Really? And to this day, Portland has one of the country's liveliest and most competitive pinball scenes. It is a great town for pinball bars, a great town for pinball tournaments. They still love it, 
But I don't think they're murdering each other over it anymore. <laughs> Do hipsters that murder each other over anything? <laughs> wow. Wow, wow, wow. So I'm, I mean, I'm fascinated by all of this, but my personal rant is going to come into play in terms of you can't have, like, a minor within a certain footage of mm-hmm. kids. I was with, I've, this has happened to me a couple of times where I'm with someone while they're buying groceries and alcohol. Now, I'm there with them. I'm not mm-hmm. buying anything, but they get carded, and then they ask to see my ID. And I'm like, fuck you. I'm not buying shit. You don't need to see yeah. my ID. Uh, and they, uh, at one point, they wouldn't, they wouldn't sell me alcohol when my brother was with me. We were both over 21. Um, I thought it was obvious. I gave him my ID, and they asked for Ian's ID, and I was like, you don't need to see it. He, he's yeah. not buying anything. And they were like, no, the rule is we have to card everyone here. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So if I come with my five-year-old kid to buy myself mm-hmm. a beer, you're not going to sell it to me because they're clearly under 21? No, that fucking doesn't follow. So the fuck, if a pinball ma- I don't think it makes any sense that you could be mm-hmm. disallowed to play pinball just because a kid is walking in the door. That's dumb. Yeah. Yeah, but it betrays this sort of Puritan instinct of evil and bad behavior is just this smoky cloud with tentacles. And if you see the tip of a tentacle in a good place, you got to chop it off. Yes. And not let anybody near it. Absolutely. Rather than, hey, maybe this thing that's in the lobby of a fucking Outback Steakhouse is not going to lead you directly to the devil because it's just a game. Because it's just a game. Or maybe we can assume that parents will be the ones to decide whether or not their kids go near it or not. Mm -hmm. Like... But no, it, it had that taint of being like gambling. Even though I I can't imagine there's places in the country where people still gamble at all on pinball. Let, I mean, pinball, there's one company these days that makes pinball machines. It's really a Is it really? Part. Oh, wow. Yeah, just one. Just one. I guess that I mean, makes there's sense. There's still a lot of pinball machines, because if you maintain them, they'll last for 40 years. But <sighs> They don't do fucking anything. You, yeah. They sit there as a bunch of metal until you punch, push a flipper lever. Isn't that strange to think about, though, that if you transported somebody from the 30s to 2018, it, there would be a lot of things they'd be shocked about, yeah. but it never would have occurred to me that they'd be shocked that we have pinball machines. No. No. Right? Or scandalized. Right? You think they'd just be like... So overwhelmed with bare bellies and spaghetti straps and, you know, guys wearing Crocs that you wouldn't even think about, hey, guess what? (laughs) You want to see my pinball machine collection? Right? I feel like in any given arcade, the pinball machine is, like, the most innocuous thing. You're not shooting anybody. That's the one... There's no bikini, ladies. Yeah, when your mom is dragged with you and the dad is playing shoot-em-up games with the kids, that's the one where the mom goes and plays. Although my mom always played skee-ball. Yeah, I love ski ball. Yeah, ski ball's good. Ski ball's good, but uh, it's just like you said, it's so innocuous. It's so... Yeah. It's so play school. But back in the day, so popular, so scandalous, so worth fighting over if you were a crime boss. Isn't that nuts? It's like, what did he do for his racket? Was he into (laughs) bootlegging or... Opium? Oh, man. Pinball. It's like when you go to jail and they're like, what are you in for? Murder. What about you? <laughs> Larceny. And you? I don't want to say. <laughs> I don't. It's really bad, huh? I don't want you to know. 
And then if you don't turn over your papers to your cellmate, if you don't show them your, your doc file, then they assume it was something, uh, it was one of the unforgivable crimes, you know, against a child. And they'll just treat you as though you're a, a pederast and beat the fuck out of you. So you would have to open up your doc paperwork and be like, no, really, it's just pinball. I mean, like, don't beat I, me up because I'm a milk toast. But yeah, it was pinball. I was a pinball racketeer. Yeah. Yep, the Pinball Racketeurs. That could be a good gang name. Ooh. Or the Racketeer Racketeurs. Now I'm just doing word association and I need to stop that. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. Well, you... that's, that's the story of the Portland Pinball Wars. The Portland Pinball just Wars. Another inexplicable chapter of the Rose City. <laughs> Brought to you by Icy Blodgett and Beluga Kelly. You got it. I don't I like Portland I don't want to move back to Portland but Portland's pretty weird Portland's a great place to visit it's like Narnia mm-hmm. I'm not gonna live there There's a fucking weird ass fawn with no fashion sense and a lady with polar bears who wants to kill me but I'll go check it out every now and then and the fawn has no pants he has no pants why do you have a scarf but no pants the yeah. hell is wrong with you Oh, also, I forgot to mention something during the Harold Belays episode, which is that people, if they want to see Transcend the Bullshit on another piece of his art, very close to the lantern, he's done two sculptures, one of a nun who's, like, laying mortar and bricks, mm-hmm. and another of a guy who's holding a wheelbarrow that has a lot of cinder blocks in it, which yes. recently has sprouted, like, flowers in honor of Harold, which I really like. That's but- sweet. One of that guy's heels yeah. is off the ground. And if you either, you can lie on the ground and look up with your eyes, or you can put your phone into selfie mode, yep. tuck it under his heel, and you will see that it says in the bronze or whatever that's made mm-hmm. of, transcend the bullshit. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to Could do it. Could not pass that along. <laughs> I'm so glad you did. It's nice, because like when I was in art school, we were all like, oh, well, we can't see it. We'll get like dental mirrors, you know, we'll get, or somebody will take their mm-hmm. compact mirror. And angle it so you can see it. And it's like, well, now you just you just use your cell phone. That's easy. There you go. Oh, my God. All right. Let me outro us. What do we got? Um, we got so much we shit. We have. We got everywhere and everything, and we're just good at stuff. So <laughs> one of the things that we're sharing with the world lately is Devin's amazing art. And that's in a couple places. Bless she has an Etsy that's called Hello Most Ghost, which I love. Thank you. And that's where you can get, like, our map, which is still really cool. I don't know why more people don't have it. The map is fantastic. Or you can go to our society6.com webpage, Ouija Brots, and there we have your Northwest Cryptids map, which is in a totally different art style, which is one of the things I love about you and how you do art. It's not just one thing, right? Oh, thanks. You've got, like, you know, here's my beautiful watercolor sketch, and here's my pencil thing, and then here's this kind of cool... What do you even call that art style? I don't... Those little guys I don't... I mean, they're vector illustrations. They're very minimalist vector illustrations illustrations yeah that works. they're cool they're like icons or something so there's um all of the northwest cryptids that we could throw in there that devin threw in there and then also individual stickers of some of them and then also other cool merchandise so please go check us out and 
You can always join us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram mm -hmm. at Ouija Broads. Um, if I were you, I'd follow all three because there's actually different stuff on each of them. It really is. And that's not because of a clever media strategy. It's just because <laughs> we both do Facebook and I only do Twitter and Devin only does Instagram. No, it's clever. This is a good media strategy. That's right. A strategy. A strategy. <laughs> we are businesswomen. We know what we're doing. We have strategies. <laughs> We've taped so three episodes point. in a row. We're a little bit tired. Um, we're getting punchy. We've been doing this for four hours. Mm -hmm. And I... What else is going on? Oh, and ah. if you would like to be incredulous and hopeful enough to throw your money at something more interesting than pinball, <laughs> you should probably go to patreon.com slash where you can join us for all kinds of interesting outtakes, sneak peeks at the book we're working yes. on, and our special once a month extra episode that we do called The Seance, which is about slightly different, but also interesting things. Mm -hmm. And for show notes, as always, go to OuijaBroads.com. Thank you to those of you who are listening, who are rating and reviewing. Please take a second to go do that if you haven't. Please. It makes a huge difference for us. It makes a huge difference for us. I really have to stop. I can't talk anymore. <laughs> it makes a really and big difference. the most important thing you can do, though, is to live weird. To die weird. And stay weird thank you for listening thank you for listening <laughs> that was a struggle boss limp to the finish <laughs> oh boy